The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. We've got a special treat this morning. Um, I've been in Alabama last weekend, and then this next weekend leaving Friday to go to Branson, Missouri to speak to the Presbyterian Church in Branson, Missouri for a women's retreat. I'm not exactly sure how they got my name, but um, so I'm looking forward to what God has there. They actually am to speak six times in Branson, Missouri. So that's a full weekend. And I wondered this morning as we looked at the schedule at the beginning of September and I was struggling physically, I thought maybe that this would be an opportunity for us to put into practice some of the Titusine that we talk about. So I asked Stephanie if she might come and open up the word to us from Acts 4 today so that we might hear from the Lord through, um, through Stephanie what he wants to say through Acts 4. And I believe that Jesus is, wants to do some new things in our hearts and some new things in the hearts of the wider sphere of women that he's opening up for us. And so as we pray and come today to pray, I ask that you would pray with me that the Lord would speak his thoughts to our minds and give us his words for the direction he wants for the different ones of us throughout his body and for sharing the good word of Jesus um, to women and to others through wherever he gives us a chance. So this morning, Stephanie has graciously um, been willing to come and share with us from Acts 4. And then I'll be back next week in Acts 5. Well, I'm excited about today and um, just what he has for us. Acts 4 is pretty intense. So let's just get right into it. Acts 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the leading priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees came over to them. They were very disturbed that Peter and John were claiming on the authority of Jesus that there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, jailed them until the morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so that the number of believers totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Leaders and elders of our nation, are we being questioned because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed in the name and power of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name in all of heaven for people to call in to save them. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men who had no special training. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since the man who had been healed was standing right there among them, 
the council had nothing to say. So they sent Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What shall we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny they have done a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But perhaps we can stop them from spreading their propaganda. We'll warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and told them to never again speak or teach about Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about the wonderful things we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Let's just stop right there for now. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open your word to us. God, that you would teach us this morning, that you would touch our hearts. Lord, you know what we need. You know where we need to say yes to you and how we need each one of us needs to go further into you and further with you. So we pray that you would touch our hearts today and that we would be able to say yes to all that you have for us. In your name, amen. Well, we've been learning about, you know, how the church is growing, and, and we see in Acts 2, 41, those who, believed what Peter were, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church, about 3,000 in all. And now we see in this chapter that it's now grown to 5,000. So I think that this would count as revival. <laughs> revival has come to the early church. Um, and it, th th this kind of makes me laugh because, you see, the Sadducees are pretty upset that, as we see in verse 2, that they were disturbed that Peter and John were claiming on the authority of Jesus that there is resurrection of the dead. And as we know, the Sadducees didn't believe that there was resurrection of the dead. So no wonder they were disturbed. Not only had Jesus, Jesus risen from the dead, um, but, and they can't get rid of him. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's interesting. But I think that there's two things that we need to note here. In the, is that G revival is met with opposition. We see it twice. We see that revival is met with opposition back when the Holy Spirit first came at Pentecost, when the crowd said, they're drunk, that's all. And now they're met with opposition again, not from the crowd, but from within inside the church, from the religious leaders. And so I think um, that we shouldn't be surprised when we experience revival in our lives when our churches, when our families experience revival, we are going to be met with opposition. There was a, a guy who I knew of. I, my dad is a pastor, and he was a pastor's kid, and we kind of had similar, you know, the pastor's kid get together, and you could just sense the rebellion in him. You know, he just did not want to be a pastor's kid, didn't want to be where he was at all. And he came to Asbury, and God got a hold of him. And he went back to go to a different Christian school, and his friends from high school God had gotten a hold of. And they were all in this Christian school together, and they went to the chaplain of that school, and they said, we would love to share what God has done in our lives. And the chaplain said no. And they had been here where there were student-led chapels and where people at times just state what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives. And, and they said, well, what if the Holy Spirit were to move in that way? What if he would call us to speak about what he's done in our lives in the middle of the chapel? And that chaplain said, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that here. So it shouldn't be a surprise that when there's revival in our hearts, that it's met with opposition. 
I think that we can go back and, and remember some of what Beth had taught us in Luke about toxic faith, because we see the toxic faith again here in this group of religious leaders. They were clothed themselves with religious things. They had studied the word. But we see again that they are the center of themselves. And that makes all of the difference. They hated the things of God because it threatened their control. It threatened their power. It threatened their authority. And they chose to reject Jesus and the truth and everything that was holy and cling to their own arrogance and pride because they didn't want to let go of themselves. I think we need to ask ourselves that question. Are, are we holding on to the things of arrogance and pride because we don't want to let go of self, because we don't want to let go of control? Are we willing to be like the crowd, that this, the good crowd, not, not the crowd that, that opposed, but this crowd that heard what, Paul, what Peter and what John had said and believed? And yet here, again, for another time, God has ordained it so that Peter and John clearly state the gospel. And yet the religious leaders, again, say no. Let's take a look at this, at this third sermon of Peter. It seems like there's some just good stuff in there for us even today, not just for the religious leaders. If, as Peter starts in verse 10, let me clearly state to you and to all of the people of Israel that he was healed, that we, the guy that we learned about last week, in the name and the power of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Is Jesus Christ risen in your life? Do you know the power that cancels sin? Or is he still, is he still dead? Does he still offer you no power, no hope, no life? He's alive. And then as we go on to verse 11, the, this again also kind of makes me laugh. It's Peter teaching the Bible to the religious leaders. <laughs> For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Is he the cornerstone in our lives? Is he what we're building our marriages on, our families on? our lives on, our kids on, our futures on? Or is he just one of many pieces? Or is he the cornerstone? And then we go to verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. This screams in the face of postmodern world right now that says tolerance, that says any way. I was even watching a TV show on Sunday that, where they were um, working with a church family and you could just almost sense the agony of the staff members who were working with the church family as, as they had to justify and say, well, this is their way, but anyway is fine. And all of us were just like, no, that's not, that's not truth. But how hard it is to say that there is salvation in no one else that Je than Jesus this day. But I think that we have comfort in that, obviously, this wasn't an easy thing for Peter to say either. The, the religious leaders didn't want to hear that Jesus was the only way. They didn't believe that Jesus was the only way. And yet Peter was willing to say, there is salvation in no one else. And then he continues, there is no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them. And as I think of my life and as you think of you, your lives, who do you call on to save you? When you're hurt, 
when you're frustrated, when you're angry, do you run to him? Or do you go first to shopping, or go first to friends, or go first to complaining, or where do you go first? Where do you take your burdens? Where do you take your fears and your hurts? There is no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them. Sometimes I think we wonder, myself included, I wonder why, why my life isn't filled with, with isn't fulfilled. Where, where is God? I think we can tend to blame God, and yet we don't go to him. <laughs> and yet how can he meet us if we're not willing to call on him? How can he fulfill us if we're not willing to go to him? He, in Luke 13, we learned where he cries out, Oh, Jerusalem, how I long to gather your children, like as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you would not let me can't blame him. We can't be angry with him when we're not running to him and allowing him to meet us, allowing him to fill us. And then we come to verse 13. I just think there's such good stuff in this. The members of the council were amazed because they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men who had no special training. I think that is good news for us girls, because I know that we are ordinary women who have no special training, and yet it God used him. And I almost wonder if there was the contrast between the boldness of Peter and his ordinariness, that if he were anybody else, it wouldn't have had the impact because they would have been trained, they would have had school, but that God can use us, our ordinariness, as you've heard people say, to make us extraordinary. And I think that, that's pretty incredible. And then we, we continue. Um, it's the second part of 13. They also recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. When people look at us, when they look at you, when they look at me, do they recognize us as women who had been with Jesus? I got an email out of the blue from a girl I know. She's a sophomore at a, a secular university, and I don't know, I guess she just felt like getting in touch. Or I, I think that God's doing a work in her, and she's hungering for something more, at least someone just to talk it through with. And she said, you know, Stephanie... I'm really excited. She's going to an FAS, an FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, help me. Yeah, conference this summer. She gets to lead and finally be in ministry, and she's so excited. But she said, I, I think the lacrosse players that I play lacrosse with, they know that I'm a good person, and they know that I make great choices, and they know that I am moral, and my friends back home know that I didn't do wrong things, I didn't drink, you know, they knew that I had high standards. I don't know if any of them know why. She really felt like God was telling her, it's time. It's time to tell them why. Why you make the choices you make. Why you do what you do. You're so different from the world, so different from her friends, but does anybody know why? Are we even different from the world? And that's, can anybody look at us and say, oh, she's been with Jesus? And then are we willing to tell them why we're different from the world? I worked at an ice cream store at <laughs> the drive-thru. It was, it was quite the hectic life, but I don't know. I just guess I smiled. I guess it was friendly. It, nothing that I tried to do or be. And one person drove up and said, you just have the biggest smile. You just seem so joyful. And I just said, thanks. And she drove away. And I thought, I missed it. All I had to say was, it's because of Jesus. Have a great day but I just said thanks. I didn't know what to say. But the cool thing is, is that 
that stayed with me. I think that God's allowed that to stay with me so that when the next opportunity comes, I don't miss it. And then we get down to, to verse 19 where this council doesn't seem to know what to do with them. They don't want them to keep talking, and yet what, what can they do? The whole town has believed what they said, it seems like. Um, and so they threaten them, and, and Peter and John reply, does God want us to obey you rather than him? Are there areas in our lives where we're listening to other people instead of listening to him? Where we're more worried about what other people are going to say, we're more worried about the rules of the world, we're more worried about what we look like or how we come across than about obeying him. And then verse 20, we cannot stop talking about the wonderful things that we've seen and heard. And I think that this is the, an exa this is the example of the overflow that we've been talking about that God is so at work in our lives, like Susan prayed, that we cannot help but talk about it, what he has saved me from, what he has freed me from, that I, I can't help it. I have to talk about it or else I'm going to explode. And I think that this is exactly what people, Peter and John, were going through, that God was so good and that he was so at work in their lives that they had to tell people that threats didn't matter, that being in jail didn't matter, that eventually death didn't matter. Those things are nothing compared with just the urgency that the Holy Spirit had given them to share what they had experienced. And then I wonder today, are, are we making ourselves available to all that he has for us? Is, are we allowing him to fill us with his goodness? Or do we keep him at a distance? Because I think it's hard for us to share the good things, the incredible things we've seen and heard. How can we share Jesus if he hasn't transformed us? If he hasn't changed us, what do we have to share? He's a God that you can go to every Sunday and Wednesday morning for Bible study. What is that? That's not exciting. But if he's transformed us, if he's changed us, if we have allowed him to fill us, then we have to share. It's just overflow. There's nothing that we have left to do but to share. I, I don't know if you're like me, but as I read this, I thought, I was kind of like Peter, and I thought, really? Peter? This is you? This is the same Peter? Let's, let's go back to Luke 22 just to kind of get a picture again of the pre-Pentecostal Peter. Twenty-two, verse fifty-four. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's residence, and Peter was following far behind. The guards lit a fire in the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. Interesting, isn't it? The very thing that this group of religious leaders has just said. This man is one of Jesus' followers. And yet, what does Peter do here, prior to Pentecost? Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know the man. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of Jesus' disciples because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I do, do not know what you're talking about. And then Peter left crying bitterly after he'd realized that he had denied Jesus three times. So what a difference. Here in Acts, he is in the presence of the religious leaders, and he speaks boldly, 
boldly, let me tell you clearly. And yet, before, he wasn't even in their presence. He was outside the priest's residence. And he was confronted by a servant girl. And he denies him. So what's the difference? I mean, that's, that's my question. What is the difference? Because this counsel isn't pretty. We realize that this is the counsel that lied, that was dishonest, that got Jesus crucified, beaten, tortured, the whole works. And I can't help but imagine what were Peter and John thinking as they were in jail that night? Did they think this was it? Well, we're just going to follow what Jesus did? We're going to be crucified ourselves? They're going to kill us? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they were thinking, but I, I can't help to think that some of those thoughts must have crossed through their mind as, as they realized that, that this counsel wasn't kind to them and their kind. But apparently it didn't matter. Apparently the truth of Jesus as risen from the dead and as the salvation of the world was more important to them than their own safety. And that the truth of who Jesus was transcended their fears. So what happened? What happened that the Peter could go from betrayal to boldness? Well, I think that he knew the train, the pain of his betrayal. Second, we see that Peter had multiple, as we read through the end of Luke in the beginning of Acts, he had multiple encounters with the risen Christ. And then in John 21 is where, if you remember, Jesus charges Peter and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me more than these? And then charges him to take care of his sheep. But even then, I think it's, it's interesting that Peter doesn't seem to quite get it because as soon as Jesus charges him with taking care of the sheep, he says, well, what about John? So there's still, there's, he's almost there, still not quite there. And then we see in Acts 4, verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's the difference. I mean, that's what, we've, what we're learning, is that that is the difference, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that it can transform the likes of Peter and that it can transform the likes of us. And what about us? Are we, are we pre-Pentecostal Peter? There, the honest truth is that I, I realized at a period in time that this world is going to hell and... I'm pretty content with my little world over here. <laughs> too scared, too shy, too confused to say anything, and I'm more likely to tell you about a great deal and how you can save some money <laughs> than about the one who can save your soul. Content that, not, not content, but just, well, there's some family members in my life that don't know Jesus, and that's just the way it is, and there's some friends that don't know Jesus, and that's just the way it is. And I think part of that was just because of the fear that it would be me that would have to tell them. And honestly, I would, I would pray for them, but eh, not really believe that anything was going to change. Until I came to a point where I, th where I think God just showed me that he was more than that. Then, but it was a start. And I think that's all it is, is are we willing to say yes to Jesus even in the small things? So that when it gets to be the big things, we can say yes to him. God has given me a burden for my family and for the lost friends that I have, and I have a different mindset now. It's not about me and what I can do to tell them. It's about him and what he can do in and through each one of us 
to tell the people that we love about Jesus. Because let me tell you, it would be, it is so much easier for me, I think, to stand up here and talk to some people that I don't know and some of you that I do know. It would be even easier to talk to a group of people that I don't know at all <clears throat> than to sit face to face with family, with people who know you, with people who like you or don't like you. It's hard. And I imagine that it was just as hard for Peter to speak the truth in front of the very same council that crucified Jesus. And yet his holy, God's Holy Spirit was in him, and he was able to do it boldly and with joy. There's a song by Nicole Nordeman that, called Brave, and uh, I'd love to read the words to you because I think that that's where we are today. She says, as she sings, the gate is wide, the road is, the road is paved in moderation. The crowd is kind and quick to pull you in. Welcome to the middle ground. It's safe and sound. And until now, it's where I've been. Because it's been fear that ties me down to everything. But it's been love, your love, that cuts the string. So long, status quo. I think I just let go. You make me want to be brave. The way it always was is no longer good enough. You make me want to be brave. I'm small and I speak when I'm spoken to, but I'm willing to risk it all. I say your name, just your name, and I'm ready to jump, even ready to fall. Why did I take this vow of compromise? Why did I keep it all inside? I've never known a fire that didn't begin with a flame. Every storm will stop, start with just a drop of rain. But if you believe in me, that changes everything. So long, status quo. I think I just let go. You make me want to be brave. As Peter was teaching the religious leaders, we go back to Acts 4, verse 11. We see that he's quoting Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Well, let's go ahead and go there for a minute. Let's go to Psalm 118. And if we start at 118, verse 6. Again, this is the chapter that Peter is teaching from. And verse 6 says, For the Lord is for me, so I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I look in triumph at those who hate me. It's better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in people. It's better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And then if we skip down to verse 13, you did your best to kill me, O my enemy, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my victory. And then if we go down to verse 19, Open, the, open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. Those gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and saving me. The stone rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And then if we go down to verse 29, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. There's part of me that wonders if the religious leaders knew this chapter and exactly what Peter was saying. But who they were didn't matter. It was who he was. 
His strength in Peter, his strength in us. His spirit in Peter, his spirit in us. That we don't have to fear men. We don't have to fear our friends. We don't have to fear our family. We don't have to fear the people that God might be calling us to to share him with them. Who we are is in him. And from there we draw our strength. From there we find our hope. From there we find our joy. Everything else is just secondary. So today, let's just one minute here. The other thing that I thought was interesting was that Peter, Peter denied Jesus. We just looked at that. And I wonder if there aren't some of you who have denied Jesus before as well. And that the enemy is right up in your ear saying, who are you to tell anybody about Jesus? What do you know? Look what you've done. And I think sometimes we get paralyzed by the lies of the enemy. But look at Peter. As we learned earlier, he repented, he obeyed Jesus, he waited for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and he was transformed. The blood of Jesus cleanses all sin, and we are free. There is therefore no condemnation who are for those who are in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. We don't have to live in the fears of our past. We don't have to live with the baggage of our past. We don't have to live in the shame or the doubt of our past. He has cleansed us. He has created us anew. And we can live in that and live out of that and share out of that and speak out of that, even to the difficult places that he would call us to. Simon was his name before. And Jesus changed his name to Peter. I wonder when Jesus saw the beginnings of the man that he would call to build his church. You have Peter, or you have Simon, the one who betrayed him. You have Peter, who now stands boldly proclaiming him, who is the rock on who Jesus is building his church. And I wonder if there aren't some of us who need new names, that we might need Jesus to give us a new name, that we're living out of the old, and it's time to say no, no more to the old. It's time to live out of the new. And that in order to do that, Jesus needs to give you a new name. Let's turn to Revelation 2.17. Anyone who is willing should hear and listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Everyone who is victorious will eat of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. He longs to give you a new name today. He longs to give me a new name. That no more do I have to live out of the Stephanie that wanted to please people, the Stephanie that wanted to have people's attention, the Stephanie that wanted to be all about Stephanie. But I can live with a new name, that I am his beloved. And out of that belovedness, out of that new name, I can overflow with his love that's in me, overflow to whoever it is that I meet, whether it be the person on the plane next to me or family members or people I don't know 
that when I sense, that when we sense his spirit in us, touching us, saying now, now is the time to speak, that we would say yes, that we wouldn't stop and question and say, but this, but that, but my fear, but I'm afraid, but you know I can't speak. We wouldn't sound like Moses, but that out of our new name, we would say yes, Jesus, and speak the truth. Do you need to surrender yourself to him? Your fears, your doubts, and allow you to fill him with the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to be brave for him? To overflow with his love and truth even when it's hard? Are you willing to say yes when he presses on your heart? Or for those of us who talk too much, are you willing to be quiet? when you're only speaking out of yourself and not of him. I love it. As, let's continue in, in Acts 4. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John found the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Then all the believers were united as they lifted their voices in prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor King David, your servant, saying, Why did the nations rage? Why did the people waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. This is what has happened here in the city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and all the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. In fact, everything they did occurred according to your eternal will and plan. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give your servants great boldness in their preaching. Send your healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the building where they were meeting shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached God's message with boldness. They didn't ask that the threats would go away. They asked for boldness. And when they left that place, they didn't run to themselves and stay within themselves. They ran to the body of believers. Jesus didn't send Peter to go talk to the religious leaders. He sent Peter and John. Ladies, we have a body of believers that we do not take advantage of, myself included. Try too hard to do it on my own because we don't want people to know or people will say or what will people do. And yet look at us. Here we are in the same room what power we could have in that, what strength could come from that. This is the example that was given to us, and this is how Jesus set it up, that we wouldn't be alone, that we wouldn't have to face the difficulties of life alone, that we'd be able to go into the hard places with boldness because we know that we have each other praying for us, lifting us up, supporting us. He didn't call us to be bold alone. He didn't call us to speak of him alone. He gave us each other. I was at the college yesterday in Hughes Auditorium, and as I was walking out, I saw a plaque on the door that I think I had vaguely heard before, but I don't know that I ever really looked about it. And it mentioned the name of Lilburn Atkins, Robert Zimmer, Burley Law, and Glenn X. Truth. And they were all martyrs. And I've heard several times people say that, that this is a time when the reality of martyrdom has come back. And I just wonder if there are any of us today who are willing to say yes to him all the way, whatever that looks like, even if that means death.
if that's what he's calling us to, would we joyfully be able to say yes? Could we? Or would we just at least say yes? Maybe, Jesus, would you help me to say yes? If we go back and look at verse 3. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, jailed them until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the numbers of believers totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. It's interesting to me that first they tell us that they were jailed, and then it tells us the number of believers. And I wonder if some of those believers needed to see that Peter and John were willing to be jailed for the truth that they talked about before they could believe. So I don't think we need to fear the threats. I don't think we need to fear the awkwardness or what people say or think. That if we would say yes in the face of threats, if we would say yes in the face of people not liking us or, or um, thinking that we're crazy or weird, that then, then people would know that what we're saying is true. That we would know that what we are saying is from him. This morning I wonder if, if he's talking to you or if he's said anything to your heart today. Do you need a new name? Are you living out of the old name? Are you bound by fear? Do you want to be brave? Are you willing to say yes, to go into the hard places, to speak about Jesus boldly because of all that he has done for you? Are you willing to let him do all in you that he wants to do? Are you willing to go to the hard places? even when that means forsaking all that's comfortable and all that we know, so that we can say yes to all who he is. You know that our altar is always open at this time, and so if he's talking to you, you feel free to come. I just want to thank Jesus for Stephanie sharing with us from Acts 4. And I want us to think very closely today as we get ready to go out. We want to ask Jesus, do we need a new name? Have we been filled with the Holy Spirit? And is there a quickening in our hearts by the power of the Spirit for us to live for Jesus with confidence, with freedom, with boldness, and with joy? And we need to seek God's face for him to do a new deep work in our souls. Because I just read this morning, our choices Jesus taught that the choices for eternity are made in this life. Remember Luke 16, when he gave the example of the, the Lazarus and the rich man? So this life is when we decide our choices for eternity. The consequences for sin are serious, and they are eternal. And then only the blood of Jesus is able to cleanse from sin. But people have to know about Jesus' blood that is able to cleanse from sin. And the way they know it is by God's presence working so in your life and mine that they see Jesus in us and are drawn not to us, but to him. I remember when Jesus met me in a new way when I was 18 at Asbury and filled me with his spirit. And I didn't have signs and wonders, but I knew God had done something in my heart because the center was different. And I remember one day I was in downtown Lexington. That's when there weren't any malls. We were, I was downtown, 
And I just was singing in my heart. Because Jesus was so good and I was alive. So I was just singing as I walked down the street. And this little lady came up to me and she said, What do you have to sing over? I said, Well, lady, do you have time for a cup of coffee? I said, I could tell you. Because Jesus has done something new in my soul. She said, Oh, my we went into the old Wilbur's and we sat down on two stools. I even had enough money for coffee as a college student. That was a big thing. <laughs> and we sat there and I shared Jesus with her. And we prayed. And Jesus is looking for those of us to be willing to say, I identify with you no matter what it costs. But we cannot do it until they allow the knife of the cross to come into my self-centeredness and my self-will so that you and I can be filled with his precious Holy Spirit. And then we begin that love adventure with God <laughs> where God begins to take us into places that are outside our comfort zone and we begin to take risks for God, not in our own strength, but under the empowering of the Spirit. And life becomes a sacred love adventure. We are no longer our own. We are his. Has he given you a new name? Has he filled you with his Holy Spirit? Are you willing to begin a love adventure with him so that you're no longer your own, you're his, and he can take you wherever he wants you to go, and he can put his words in your mouth to speak? Because eternity then will be different because you and I have lived. Are you willing for that today? As we get ready to go into our small groups, let's ask Jesus to meet us with himself in new ways. And if there's anybody that wants to pray, would you just come forward and we could pray together with you? This weekend, when we were in Alabama, I told the story one time of when God met me and gave me a new name because I was so terrified of driving. And I got to the place, we'd been out of the country seven years, and I was frightened to drive in America. We lived in Boston, and there was lots of traffic. And I said, Al, you've got to drive for me. He said, I can't drive for you, Beth, I have to go to work. I said, Al, I can't drive. And I get in the car and just have panic attacks sweep over me. I never had anything like that. And I got so that they'd look, I just had Katie, Beth, and Cricket. And I'd say, girls, pray. Pray we can get home. So they'd begin to say, oh, help mommy, Jesus, help mommy. And they'd pray. Well, then it got so we'd just get in the car. There were no seatbelts. And those two little girls would kneel in the back seat and go, oh, Jesus, help mommy. Help mommy. Jesus, help mommy. And one day, Jesus said, Beth, you are ruining your children's lives because of your fear. Let me have your fear. I can drive for you, through you, and in spite of you. And I said, Lord, can you do that? Are you that big? And I went to a Bible study, and we got there. And the lady said, God wants to give you a new name. And read that Revelations 2.17. To him overcomes, I will feed with hidden man and give you a new name. Written on a white stone, known only to him that receives it. And then she had the audacity of going around that group of women and saying, what's your new name? What's your new name? I said, oh, my goodness. And I had to go on record.
So I got to me, and my heart was going like this, and I said, oh my. I said, I need to be brave Beth. And in that moment of declaration of my need, God met me. <laughs> and then I got to get in the car, so I took the steering wheel. I said, okay, Beth the Cricket, it's okay. I said, Jesus this is brave Beth. Do you want to go home? <laughs> and that was the beginning of a new beginning. So today, he can take Simon the Pebble and turn him into Peter the Rock, and on that rock, he built his church. What does he want to do with you and me? Let's not go home the same today. Let's appropriate the personal presence of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, not only for us, but that the sins and generational sins and weaknesses in you and me don't go to the next generation. There is power and strength that comes from the healing presence of Jesus. So Jesus, we praise you. We praise you to take Simon the Pebble and turn him into Peter the Rock. And you can take Beth the fearful and make her Beth the brave. That, Lord, you can take us and produce things in and of our lives. We just are dumbfounded to find ourselves in those situations because they are so out of our control, so out of our comfort zone, but they are so of you. And they're a place that pushes in desperation into the ocean of the love of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, and the power of Jesus. Lord, don't let us live today in this week in mud puddles of our own creation that ultimately dry up. Let us know today, and let some in this room know today, the incredible joy of getting into the stream of the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, and then seeing moment by moment where you lead us, whether it's changing a baby or sharing the gospel or take talking to someone at Walmart, but that, Lord, we live in you. I'm in you, dear Jesus, and you're in me, and we're in the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we're in one another because we're all in you. And out of that sense of oneness and community, we would go forward and hell would be of less people in it because we have lived, and the Spirit of Jesus would so move that today that there would be a difference in eternity because of our lives. So Lord, don't let us settle to live below what you've planned for us. Let us appropriate the privileges of Jesus and live in the abundance of the love adventure with the eternal God. And we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, and we stand on tiptoe to see what Jesus is going to do. In your precious name, amen. If you want to learn more about Titus Women, visit us online at tituswomen.org.